Hello and welcome to Further Research Needed. This is the podcast with straightforward questions and not so straightforward answers. My name is Hannes Feirer and today I'm joined by my co-hosts Jan Philipp Eising and Christopher Wood. One of my co-hosts today is really hungover and you can guess which one by the end of the episode. <laughs> the question I want to ask you today is can viruses get sick? And I want to ask my two, I want to start the episode by asking you two exactly these questions. And from there, we're going to, we're going to snowball into the episode. So please, one of you. Can we, can we define terms as usual? Um, Do you mean, do you mean like sick, like, (laughs) like a radical virus? Damn, I had the sick flu the other day. This is like a sick flu. (laughs) Well, I guess you can define the terms however you want them and then go with your answer from there on. Chris, what's your? So, in, so for not being obtuse, I would say, uh, so you're asking, can a virus suffer from an effect of something that reduces its e- efficacy or ability to reproduce? Is that fair to say? I, I guess that does have a lot of assumptions in it, but I think it's fair. Mm-hmm. I think that would be one way of defining a disease, sickness. Sickness, yeah. So um, I know that viruses can lose efficacy. Um, Certainly, they can be, certain chemicals reduce their ability to transfect, Mm -hmm. or transfect to infect things. So so some small molecules do reduce viruses' ability to go into cells, which let's take the assumption that viruses are alive, but part of their life cycle is spent inside of a cell, then they are sick by not being able to get into the cell to do their job or mm-hmm. what they perceive as their job. Um, sorry, I'm now anthropomorphizing <laughs> these poor viral, viral load. Coming home from no, that's our good, day that's good, that's good. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. it's like wild. it comes, comes in and it's like puts its key in the lock and then the key drops off and it's like, ah, what? Um, that's exactly what the, if you ever have the stuff for, for lip herpes, for um, cold sores, that uh, that chemical is is a, is essentially blocking the virus from entering cells. So, yeah. Did that answer your question? <laughs> I guess that's like I guess yes, that's right. A, yeah, I guess it does. Hmm. With chemicals. With chemicals. I mean, like my initial thought is that I don't know if something that's not alive can get sick, but I think we use that term all the time, right? Uh, it's I don't know. Can a stone get sick? I don't know. Ooh. Can nature Ooh. be sick? Jesus. Probably, but nature is also alive. I don't know. Uh, but I, uh, I, I let's assume that viruses are sort of alive. Then I think they can. I mean, pathogens get sick all the time. So just in terms of being infected, like E. coli and other bacteria that make us sick can get sick as well. So from that standpoint, definitely. And then similar to what you, Chris, said, just sick in the sense of not being infected by something but just having something happen to cells that goes wrong like for example us getting cancers us getting sick as well right and that happens to viruses all the freaking time that they have like a small modification of their genome and then they just suck at whatever they were doing and they get sick and don't reproduce so mm. i would say yes but probably not in the so they would common be sense of genetic support. disease for them yeah yeah exactly i mean pretty much yeah why not well 
why I came, why I'm asking this is because I recently came across a new concept, a new entity of life that I wasn't aware of. And it's even a, it's a quite young one, I have to say. What I'm thinking, or what I came across is called a, a virophage. Uh, phages, mm. for those who don't know, are basically viruses, but usually we use the term phage for viruses that infect bacteria and not eukaryotes like, like you and me or, or a cow or a plant. These we call viruses. Quite famously, there are bacteriophages, which are often quite small viruses that infect bacteria, but never humans, for example, or plants or other animals. Just and then recently, sorry, Chris, shoot. Aren't bacteriophages quite big? The T4 uh, one is huge. Isn't it? Well, I was thinking it's kind of small, but I guess let's, okay, let's talk about giant viruses. <laughs> Thank you for the segue. Sorry. Well done. Um, in 2003, a few what they started calling giant viruses have been discovered and they are almost the size of a bacterium. So they are, I think up to 800 nanometers in size and they infect amoeba and they haven't been found to infect any other animals or plants, or of course, never bacteria since they're almost the same size. Um, and these, these giant viruses, they can be infected by another virus and that's what's called a virophage. Ooh. this yeah, concept in itself i find absolutely absurd and a lot of these things didn't make a lot of sense also i don't know a lot about virology about viruses about the, how they work and so on so i kind of went down this rabbit hole and the last weeks i was reading on viruses and virophages <laughs> um before i get into the details about or before I continue asking my questions to you guys about their state of being sick and maybe their state of being alive or not. That's where I want to get mm -hmm. it, get it ultimately. Do you have any questions about the virophage that I can attempt to, to answer? I have a lot of questions. Yeah, me Start. too. I, I know you do. Okay. Philip, is it all right if I mm -hmm. jump in? So because they, their machinery isn't necessarily one understanding I have of how viruses operate is that a lot of their biochemical machinery only operates inside of cells or it requires the enzymes and um, proteins that exist within inside the cell that they infect. Is it even possible that another virus, when you talk about the viral phage, is it that it co-infects a cell with the virus and then co-ops the cellular machinery to do the work? Or does it literally latch onto the virus, the other virus, and infect and I don't know, degrade that virus and inject its own genetic material into that virus? It's the first one. I think that was also the major question I had. Oh, um, okay. I think the I cases that viruses, and I'm not entirely sure, but the way I imagine the virus to work is that when it's not inside a cell, while it's not in an infectious state in its host cell but when the the viral capsids that that's these protein shells or sometimes lipids are involved when these viral capsids with the genetic material are outside the body floating around maybe in some droplets that you just sneezed out of your lungs in there i think the virus is not metabolically active in this capsid but only once the receptors or once it binds to the receptors of, of the new host cell and injects its genetic material in, into the host cell I think only then it's metabolically active. Therefore, mm -hmm. I think the, the viral particle itself cannot really be infected because it doesn't do anything. Mm 
Instead, it's exactly how you said that the virophage enters the host cell and the, in there it hijacks the replication machinery of the giant virus. So what viruses do is that they, it's not really like their genetic material is just floating around in the cytoplasm and grabs onto replication machinery or, or ribosomes as they please, but they form something called a virofactory or viroplasm. It's like a condensed um, locus, like a condensed space where all of these processes has happen. And in there also the new viral capsules are formed and then the cell either lyses or they're being ejected, ejected from the cell. Ooh. Yeah, exactly. Mm, so I think my follow-up question to that would be, do you know which part of the viral machinery it hijacks? I think it depends. Uh, the thing is that, or I guess it depends on the species. First, I have to say, we don't know a lot of virophages so far. And also, we don't know a lot of these giant viruses that can be infected by the virophages. So the field is all in all understudied, I would say. The first virophage was discovered in 2008. And things have been, from what I've seen, kind of slow. Um, for most of the virophages, we do not know what proteins they code for. So in turn, we also don't know exactly what they hijack. I want to say we don't know because we haven't studied in mm -hmm. detail mm -hmm. which, um, which um, proteins or genes of the giant vi virus are required. The thing with giant viruses is also this lot I don't, I personally don't know, but I think other people do, is what exactly their genome codes for because the, the genome of a, of a giant virus can be gigantic. It can be up to one megabase, which is tens of times larger than most other viruses. doesn't mean a lot, right? One megabase is one million base pairs, which can encode for a certain number of proteins. And in, in the virus world, this is gigantic. Sorry, just to put it into context, to context the human genome is how many megabases? Three roughly? billion. This would be uh, okay, 3,000 3, megabases. Okay. Yep, and that's... COVID, for example, has, if I'm not mistaken, 29,000 bases. 29 okay so that's that's yeah yeah viruses are solid yeah. in the kilo base range usually mm, exactly and they can be a bit larger and a bit smaller it really depends but mm, yeah but these variety. giant viruses are gigantic and the their virophages are again rather on the side of a smaller eukaryotic virus maybe 20 to 50 kilobases mm. and they're well, like most of their own replication machinery which they take from the giant virus what I don't really get is if they're co-infecting a cell, basically an already infected cell by the by the big virus. Why is it only the megaviruses? Like technically, you could do that with any other kind of virus as well, right? If it's not the case that it's like that, it's infecting the capsid or whatever, like the virus particle itself, then the size doesn't really matter, right? Yeah, I think that's absolutely fair. This is, for me, the, probably the biggest point of confusion. And I think also in the field, from what I've been reading, the biggest point of contention. Um, maybe on this question, I can introduce a different kind of virus that I didn't know about until a few days ago, which is called a satellite virus. Um, so satellite viruses are also small viruses that depend on some other called a helper virus 
in order to replicate and like um yeah basically in order to replicate their genome and to form new capsids and it can be a bit different which part is missing which part is provided by the helper virus but in the end they have a kind of a similar um, relationship like the giant virus and the virophage and what what, what was your question so no <laughs> My, my question was like why just the megaviruses like oh why? yeah i think i think there's no good i have i don't know why at all um i think it, the similar concept we find in with smaller viruses is the satellite virus helper virus relationship mm. i think that that is in smaller viruses which works in a similar way but i think why people call the virophages phages and not satellite viruses is because they tend to severely limit the giant virus's ability to reprocreate and apparently they act a bit like a rescue mechanism for the infected amoeba the host cell which seems to regenerate and to have highly reduced survival rate upon infection of the virophage but an, an improved survival rate with the infection of the sick the, the disease virus the viral disease virus sorry which what which which sorry giant virus or, or virus when when the when the um amoeba plus the megavirus plus the um viral the, virus virus are together the amoeba lives longer or has a better survival right exactly when ah, okay in yes that's exactly isn't, right isn't that the explanation why mr burns in the simpsons don't <laughs> survive because all of viruses. his different diseases <laughs> yeah. kill each other <laughs> that's what it sounds like Is, i think that's exactly how it works yes so um, with these infective, viral infective viruses, um, you said that they haven't sequenced their entire genome yet. No, I think it's been sequenced. They just don't I know think that's how they have been found most of the time. Yes, I, they just don't really know what they found. Because I think for viruses, it's a bit more complicated with open reading frames and messenger RNAs and these things. They're not as straightforward as they are for us humans. Mm. Yeah, you have a usually... promoter and a terminator and in between you make a protein. So, so um, can they rule out or have they ruled out that these viruses um, can live on their own and they happen to also infect megaviruses? Or is, it, you know, is, that, is that definitively proven that they must have the virus, the, the megavirus to replicate? Or... Well, you're, you're a scientist. Do you think that's a sensible question to ask? Do you think that that's wow. something? Oh. Shots fired. Oh. Jesus. Oh. Hello? God. Oh, yeah, we got some ice. Got to get some ice. harsher than I intended it. What really I'm asking is, do you, can, can, do you think you can prove such a, such a question beyond any doubt? Mm -mm. No, but are they, are they happy that that's, it, with, with whatever caveat you would like to put on there, have they looked for the like at, what i'm sort of asking is have has is this been an opportunist opportunistic development of a virus that lived before in another host that now has to have its co-host that it can do or is it entirely dependent on the existence of megaviruses to exist from what i understood it is absolutely dependent on sorry the technical term is giant virus it's just technicality mm -hmm. but that's just what it's called apparently it is exactly dependent on the giant virus mm -hmm. yeah yeah i mean that makes a lot of sense otherwise 
will be yeah. sort of known. And this is not a new concept, though. Exactly. This is also known for satellite viruses and for something that is called and the entire, I don't want to say species or family, because apparently they're not alive anyway, entire group Phyla? of things. Sorry, what did you say? Phyla? Like family. Oh, I, I don't think it's that that well defined actually apparently oh, oh. Uh, i would call, just call it a group of things called mm -hmm. subviral agents that aren't strictly speaking viruses themselves but they kind of are part of viruses and this goes somewhere between a satellite virus which aren't considered fully fully formed viruses all the way down to i'm not kidding um something called a virus virusoid that is just a piece of circular single-stranded rna that kind of infects cells let's like gets replicated by the transcription or i'm not even exactly sure by what enzymes it doesn't encode for any protein it just replicates itself sometimes the ribosomes involved and whatever other things that circularize it again and it's being injected again that's just it is just one molecule oh. and, and it's kind of a virus-like entity so it's called a subviral agent but not an actual virus and here here's what i want to get back to to what i want to ask you do you do you guys think viruses are alive mm -hmm. and or how would you define life i mean that's an excellent question then mm -hmm. and i'm going to give my let's say personal answer i think that's what you're asking for here because Absolutely. science has been fighting over this for i don't know probably millennia at this point um there's like a set or when I was in, in my bachelor's, they basically taught us a set of like a checklist. These things. Is it five have. rules? I can't remember. I remember I this from school. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Like one of them is like, you need to have reproduction, which is sort of obvious. Then you need to have metabolism, like some kind of energy transfer or something. Something needs to happen. Um, and then there's a couple of other things. And I think classically you wouldn't say that viruses are alive because they don't have a metabolism and they can't really replicate on their own like they need other things to help them replicate see I, this is it's quite bad semantics here because um uh, a lot of parasites require a host to replicate in so I, i'm not sure and we would be happy to say these parasites exist mm. with a host you know so I, i'm i'm you can draw your boundaries however you want to define life. It's very, um, it's a very difficult, with the higher order questions, like you have to consume, I remember it as you have to consume a food or I think it's metabolism, that definition mm. is, it, that's very, um, like there's no reason why you have to pick that. That's just scientists decided to choose that one. You know, it, it doesn't matter what bin you put viruses in. We know they replicate a lot. That's the, that's, they are a self-replicating thing. If you want to, mm. if you want that, if you want the word life to, to define that, then go for it. I, I think they put a little bit more thought into that. I think they, the rules have make sense because you want to exclude things that we are quite sure that we want to exclude. There's like other kind of like self-sufficient systems um that we clearly wouldn't call life and then when you make up these rules viruses I, sort of fall on the edge but I, personally i agree with you that i think like from my intuitively what makes sense to me is that viruses are like 
they're just a very stripped down version of life they basically said well we don't need all of that junk whatever like the things that replicate and like i don't know metabolism stuff we don't need all of that we can get that from elsewhere and if you really think about it that we cannot exist on our own uh either like we need specific foods and we need amino acids and other sort of well, sources well, of things okay but now i have to go back to your own words this is part of your definition of life right we need foods mean it means we are metabolically active like the mm. energy and exchange with the environment is part of the definition so of course you cannot take that away and say we also need that so we may, might also not be fully fully alive what i'm trying to get at is not that we need stuff like glucose or sugar or sources of energy but we need things like essential amino acids we need other things in our surroundings that provide us with things and viruses have just taken it to the next level and said okay we don't even want to um, replicate ourselves we're going to outsource that as well and they found this fish i think somewhere that doesn't even have mitochondria anymore but basically steals atp from the bloodstream of a host which is oh. insane if you think about it so is it the one that latches on and then like dribbles away to nothing is it oh no, what? no. that's this a cleaner fish that you're thinking of the thing that no. i think that's the angler fish right? i'm thinking of the male the, fishes yeah that come that's in the angler and, fish oh, i know that's wrong Sorry. yeah no it's a different fish or mm. thing i don't know i don't even know what family it falls into but it basically doesn't have mitochondria which usually you would say hey you need mitochondria to be alive and that thing is clearly alive and it doesn't have mitochondria so you could say it doesn't maybe even have actual metabolism the way we would like to define it so yeah intuitively i definitely say viruses are alive interesting interesting what annoys me with this question it's a very um anthropocentric question because it says it's a lot like a what at what level do you define um in or consciousness slash like intelligence on the on the scale like at some point you make a cutoff and you say no 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 mosquitoes haven't got any consciousness or dogs or whatever but however you draw the line but it, the way it comes from is because we inherently look at the world and we say i am a human i have a very special ability in my head how do I apply that ability to a spectrum and, mm. and when do I cut it off? And you can also say, I'm an organism. I replicate, I eat, I do all these things and I exist separate to the chemical world. Um, Philip, you were saying we, we, we created those rules specifically to rule out things like rocks because we inherently feel superior to rocks for some <laughs> reason. And um, so we've said that we're going to make this, we're going to group our terms together as a group that dis that loses rocks, but keeps us and, Okay, yeah, exactly. we say dogs or whatever, but right at that interface that where we have viruses, where we have um, prions are a really interesting example of a self-replicating mm. protein, no, no genetic material, because there's also a definition of life that is exclusively contains genetic material, either RNA or DNA. That's that, you know, you just blanket mm. say anything with DNA and RNA is life, which is quite a neat way of doing the definition, but whatever. Um, as a chemist, you see things, people are trying to create replicating systems using different DNA bases or alternative replication strategies. Um, again, it's part of a spectrum. So we just choose it, chop it off uh, and make, make our, define our terms. It's a linguistical problem, not a scientific problem. Interesting take. I, I do agree, of course, that is kind of how we're doing it. But at the same time, there is, there is something, there's some process 
that has a few distinct features and, and we call these things life. And, and there are always things living on the edge of it, right? For example, a, a fish that wouldn't produce its own ATP is can barely claim it's metabolically active, but while at the same time oh, it might still shading this fish. This poor <laughs> fish, dude. Oh, come on, like if you can't even make your own ATP, then then no, something no, is really wrong with you. You got to step up your game. Leeching off the rest of the life. I feel like uncomfortable. Life. <laughs> I feel uncomfortable being part of this. I'm, I'm sure if plants, if plants could talk, if plants could talk, they would shame us for not being able to make photosynthesis. Right. Okay. I'm, I mean, I'm, they're I'm eating all sure. of our CO2. So, but we're I mean, also eating. Well, we, but they can also make their own, right? They do both. They do respiration and photosynthesis, but we only do respiration. We, so that's, but we, mm. we're cleaning up the mess they made of the planet. So there was a catastrophic, there was a catastrophic event because yeah. plant life evolved and started producing this waste gas oxygen. And wait, 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 wait. Well, was well, it, wait, wait. I, was, I don't think steps, I was plants. Few steps I think was cyanobacteria. Cyanobacteria. cyanobacteria, yeah. And, okay, fine. The, yeah. the, the, the oxygen was first dissolved in the oceans, not even wow. in the air. How do you know but, it wasn't but, in the air? Of course, it was in the air. There's a partial also, pressure. But, but there's a partial pressure all, of oxygen, so that's of bullshit. I lived in. They didn't release it. Wow, such a plant apologist. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let me get back to my point. <laughs> um, there is a process called life that has a bunch of features, and right. and I would agree with what Philip has said in terms of reproduction. Um, metabolism is also a very important one. One that I that I tend to put on the list as well is compartmentalization. Is that there mm. must be an, an edge of you, mm. like not you as a person, but of you as a as a living entity that doesn't that ends that defines the border of um, where this exchange of energy and of matter happens. And viruses lack that, and you can't choose to not take this into your into what? your definition of life. That's a very karyotic centric view, isn't it? What do you mean? They they are particles. Oh, yeah, yeah exactly. The, there's but a virus, know. and then there's the edge of the virus. So. Yeah, exactly. You can even do electron microscopy on it. Absolutely, mm. they definitely can. They have a, they have an, a protein shell, but in that shell, they're not metabolically active and they're not reproducing. So yeah. only when they're reproducing, they completely dissolve that shell, and then they use some other host metab metabolizing or uh, the metabolic and reproductive machinery and i think well, i think the virus if expands hear, in that sense basically it the, expands yeah the virus is oh, then just itself because it dissolves its compartments in in a way well so yeah, you can you can make this argument I, i've read this once before it's got, uh, there's a book called uh, why the, the selfish gene uh, why the descent of man sorry there's a selfish gene that's a separate book um, why the descent of man but it just talks about how the y chromosome is essentially a parasite on the x mm. chromosome oh. and that we so uh, like as male entities of a species we are essentially a viral infectious agent to the x chromosome female parts of the species we wow. piggyback on them and we do not do the reproduce like uh, the hard work of reproduction for us is is an infect we, we essentially infect the female of the species to reproduce our y chromosome so you know it's it's an interesting one about whether we put the effort in to uh do our own reproduction or not that's very interesting I Although I this. feel like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like there's something <laughs> wrong with this, but that might just be following. my personal bias. We, we, we possibly should do, we, we possibly do, should do a book club on the, the why um, Descent of Man, because it's quite, it's got some quite 
disturbing analyses of the of what being male is and the mm. the descent of the male oh, interesting. or why, why sexes exist is is it's the whole book's about yeah why there is sexual reproduction rather than asexual reproduction yeah but scary. it does have quite a few advantages not to toot my own horn here or our species <laughs> please don't horn, toot your own but... horn on this podcast <laughs> oh. <laughs> wow that was that was low i, I would have i would I would expect Hannes to make a dad love joke like that. But Chris, come on. Things are getting too serious. Somebody's got to keep the standard high, people. (laughs) Sorry. I'll get us back on track on on life and viruses. Okay. So, so the two things we're kind of like claiming that viruses don't really have is metabolism and reproduction out of their own. And I do think they lack the compartmentalization aspect to quite an extent but okay. agree to disagree but yeah but again exactly i think we can agree to disagree because as as chris said this is more of a philosophical debate about semantics more than about physical things in like in in the universe mm. right? life isn't a thing it's a process and we can define this just as we can define health and sickness for example and that's i guess that's what now i want to segue back to that if what viruses can get sick and so this came from an article I read on virophages and the one of the researchers involved kind of tried to settle that debate or claimed that vir- the existence of virophages, viruses that infect other viruses, kind of settled the debate if viruses are alive because only if a thing is alive can it get sick, infected, sick can get sick, i.e. infected by another, mm. like another biological entity. And this... Yeah, she used this as a reason, mm. the ultimate, the final nail in the coffin on the argument if viruses are alive. So doesn't that just push the push the question down the road? Are virus viral viruses alive? Absolutely. And <laughs> even 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 Philip now has a has an angry grin on his on his <laughs> like you look very skeptical. And and you you were the faction of pro viruses are alive, and I'm I'm against it. And I just think exactly her, for the, the logic is Chris. flawed. Like the assumption mm. that you have to be infected. Alive. Like she's making two assumptions, right? To be alive, mm. you need you need oh, to get sick. You need to be alive. That's mm-hmm. assumption one. And then two, whatever the virophages are doing is is making them sick. You know, that's like two assumptions, which right, right. both of them are sort of arbitrary and don't seem very found like sick is just a label that we put on it right like yeah I'm, as i said like you can call a lot of things sick but it's not a very clear definition of what that actually means no it's it isn't at all actually even for the human condition being like the <clears throat> the dis- definition of health and and disease is not an easy one but it's an important one for example for insurances and so on maybe it, we do want to define certain states as sick and other states not as sick but it's not easy. So I think it's even even more difficult if we project this already ill-defined concept of humans onto viruses and claim, if you can, can get sick, you're alive. There is a thing that's making you reproduce less. Therefore, you're sick. Therefore, you're alive. And yeah. I think that's the problem I have with this because if you keep going lower and lower in these subviral agents like virophages, satellite viruses, virusoids, for example, I think at the end of the day, you will have to claim that a virusoid is alive and it's it's literally one molecule. 
it's it's not like even a virus is a collection of several molecules not a lot but at least quite some of them and maybe even larger ones and the virusoid a single piece of rna would ultimately be alive as well and i think as chris said we keep pushing the problem lower and lower and eventually we'll have to claim that the single molecule is alive and I'm, i don't think i can go this far philip what's your take uh so I, I, I just occurred to me that I think the problem we have with life is that we have a lot of emotional connection to that word. It's almost like life and consciousness in that sense. You're like, oh, a single molecule can't be alive. Like it doesn't have consciousness and like a rock can't be alive because it doesn't have consciousness, but we don't understand consciousness in the first place. So all of that doesn't make a lot of sense, scientifically speaking. In my mind, a single molecule can definitely be alive as long as it replicates. Like, why not? Like, if you just use like the, a very narrow definition of life with all those like emotional connotations, like if you have a system that replicates and feeds itself on some form of energy, plus the other categories, whatever, absolutely, yeah, why not? Sure, a single molecule can be alive. Mm -hmm. You, you just took my um, point, Philip. I really, I completely agree. I, 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 this is now more a personal philosophy than a scientific thing, but I see it as a, a sense that, that it was always a competition between uh, replication mechanisms. And there was some chemicals that managed to perform a reaction which caused more chemical of the same chemical to produce. And that happened and it got slightly more complex and longer and longer until you get to fully multicellular organisms and these sorts of things. And there's this constant interplay of interaction in the replication cycles. So the bigger things, the, the viral, the virus is being able to hijack the, the machinery of the other things. But if we go all the way down to the sort of circular RNAs that, you know, either the DNA hijacked the RNA to replicate itself or vice versa. I'm not ever really sure about these sorts of things, but it's, if you call if we call the study of that replication machinery biology and not everything not that chemistry or however you want to define these sort of terms um i think replication is the easiest thing to search for as a, as a distinct line you draw between alive and non-alive so i think another definition that people use as like a more yeah a single definition that doesn't involve as many points as we discussed before would be it would be an entity maybe a chemical entity that is subject to darwinian evolution and this would be the case then for exactly what you've been talking about right mm, I, like, I quite like that i have another definition that just occurred to me from from chris's arguments is that you can also say a system that defies entropy so basically instead of entropy going Ooh. up it goes down i triggered sorry so triggered not Why sure if you, can, if you can drop this bomb 35 minutes into the podcast. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> you, you just can't. You can't defeat entropy. Well, can... I mean, temporarily, a system is alive and it decreases entropy. Things get more ordered. And the moment you die, it starts drifting apart and the entropy increases again. Possibly in a compartment. You could go back to Hannes's compartment. Yeah, 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 but you need the compartment, system. you know, yes. obviously. Okay. Within us, my body is de actively decreasing entropy. If you're not looking Until at the world around you. And mm. then, mm. well, 
but sure locally, i mean i don't obviously I, I don't decrease the universe's entropy but locally within my own boundary of being i'm not sure if this is enough as a definition no. for example would a crystal formation is that an increase of local entropy a decrease De sorry in if yeah, you take yeah, the crystal the crystal yeah it then heats up the outside as it crystallizes uh, it can be seen, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but, but, but it only takes look at the energy and makes something that's more yeah then so the crystal is alive i'd be okay, happy with that so that's wow <laughs> <laughs> okay. done i mean honestly crystals are a very interesting subset of this idea of replication so i i, I can see why you would fall into the trap that a crystal is alive because if you have one crystal and you break it into tiny bits it forms more crystals so it's it replicates as well mm. it's, it's self-replicating uh, it's almost think... similar to a to a prion in that sense right mm -hmm. because then other molecules kind yeah, of like latch onto on it and, and yeah. it decreases and increases in mm. size again so i don't know I, maybe there's something to it to all the like crystal people who are like oh the energies of everything <laughs> i'm convinced Oh, God. Oh, God. This went off the rails. I yeah. don't want to say quickly, but consistently. <laughs> yeah. um, as always, I, I want to close it. I want to, I think we've, we've come far and, and you have definitely expanded my horizon again. Should we do a quick round and, and share with each other what maybe how you are on the issue in, in just a few words again, whether viruses are alive in light of virophages in their their infection i mean for me i would say very interesting discussion hannes and i had like a pre-discussion that went in a completely different direction and i'm very happy that this one got so much off the rails um so that's interesting and i would say on the one hand i think that whole is it life or not discussion is sort of meaningless and theoretical and hypothetical and it doesn't change anything about the facts right like a virus is going to infect us and i'm going to get sick whether or not i think it's alive like it doesn't make a difference however in the big scheme of things thinking about it is really interesting because we're assuming there's life out there somewhere right and theoretically thinking about okay what constitutes a system that we would consider alive it's just really interesting because you don't know what's out there right in our mind like the intuitive thing would be oh yeah it might be like humans but they have three legs who how cool but it might be something completely different right it might be like a gas cloud or like on different scales or whatever so i think there is definitely validity in thinking about it and i think it's just very interesting us hannah said like a sentence that was really fun i can't remember it like verbatim was basically like an entity reasoning about its own self you know which is kind of fun like him being alive and reasoning about it what it means to be alive yeah hannah said it i can go back and find the <laughs> find the thing but yeah uh very interesting discussion thank you hannah for bringing it up yeah i i didn't know that it existed before we had we had this this episode so i, I think it's really interesting i i like it uh, as well because um I often take our, like, I take, this is going to sound really strange. I take our existence quite personally. Um, it seems <laughs> that we, there are a lot of things out there in the world that are, you know, bacteria infect us. We get ill from bacteria. They are this 
And then you find out that bacteriophages infect bacteria. So you start to empathize with bacteria. You mm. think, okay, they live, they have evolved into the world and have the same constraints placed upon them. They need to eat, they need to replicate, they need to exchange genetic material. And some bust, bastard thing comes in and infects them and reduces their life expectancy. This is not cool. Um, so I had empathy for bacteria. Now I find out that viruses can also <laughs> be infected and they are living this like dog eat dog chemical replication fight world, the Darwinian argument that we finally reached up on and that they're also being um, made sick. It depends how you, how you want to say that, but yeah, um, I think it's fascinating. It's, I haven't never thought about that before but it's really cool i'm happy you had the a similar revelation as i had when i when i first read about these these rfages and i i do agree with your take especially philip's last point but chris has made it earlier as well that it's just a matter of definition and it doesn't really matter you said it doesn't really change the facts but i do think it's important i do think philosophy important is important and for example i think whether we think a thing can suffer determines how we treat it ethically and, and maybe that comes back to what, what Chris said about these poor viruses who can get sick. It's just a giant virus, so no, no pity for HIV yet. Pity for um, HIV. What we didn't talk about, I'm going to leave this as a, as a cliffhanger. What we didn't, didn't talk about is a potential, a, a potential therapeutic potential, whether we could generate some, something like a virophage, target something like, like HIV. And I've been looking for this. People haven't published on this at all and there weren't even like even plans for it as far as I could tell from from my reading of the literature I I do think people will come up with it because I guess life science and research is always kind of focused on therapy if there is any potential for ther therapy so that, that that will come and um yeah I thank you for your engagement in the episode it was was absolutely fascinating thank you everyone for listening and you'll hear from us in two weeks <laughs>